0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, once again, I want to welcome you to Temple Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to be with you today. We're continuing our series in Mark chapter 5. And uh, the title of this message today is... Uh, calm to chaos, or actually no, it's chaos to calm. It seems like the reverse is true in my house at times. Uh, I don't know about you, but oftentimes it's more chaos than calm. And today we're going to see how Jesus takes something so chaotic and turns it into calm. Last week, today, and next week, they comprise a trilogy of Jesus' power. Last week we saw his power over nature. Uh, Today we're going to see his power over evil And then next week, we'll see his power over death and sickness in the second half of chapter five. This passage comes on the heels of Jesus doing amazing work, his display of power over nature as he calmed this intensely crazy storm. Uh, This led the disciples to ask this thought-provoking question in verse 41 of chapter four. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? We're going to pray together and just ask God to bless our time as we get into this passage. Dear God, we know that this passage is a difficult one when it comes to spiritual oppression when it comes to the enemy. So I feel, God, that it's important for us all here to know that there are spiritual forces at work even now that want to snatch up this word and not allow it to grow deep into our souls. So I pray by the power of the name of Jesus that these forces will be removed and that the Holy Spirit will speak to us through the word. We are thankful to be together, thankful for your word that is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We praise you for what you're gonna teach us today. In your name we pray, amen. So we look up here on this map, I believe we have a picture of where Jesus came from. If you kind of look to the north, you see Capernaum, and that's right near where the parable of the sower was told. And if you work your way down on the east coast, halfway down to Gergesa, which also says Kersey, that is where uh, this story takes place. So you have the, the disciples and Jesus departing up in the north, making their way halfway down Uh, to the east there. And so this is where they land in this passage. So Jesus and his disciples, they left a Jewish dominant area and went across the lake, went across uh, this lake of Gennesaret, this uh, sea, and basically came to a place that was more uh, Jew and Gentile mixed, and maybe even more Gentile than Jew, Now it's interesting when we get into this passage, uh, sometimes we joke about things, whether it's uh, maybe a situation where you're a kid and you do something wrong and it's like the devil made me do it. Um, I experienced something this morning uh, that I believe there was some kind of spiritual forces making my entire uh, sewer system to act up. As I'm trying to get ready, and uh, things, water coming from places it shouldn't, in drains and tubs and showers, and uh, fortunately, there was a plumber in the first hour, and he's on his way to my house, so it's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> just the benefit, I guess, of uh, preaching the word, I don't know, but, uh, but so we kind of joke about oppression, we joke sometimes, the devil made me do it, things like that, and uh, sometimes we have this attitude that's kind of dismissive. and and really not taking that very seriously when it comes to spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis, he talks about two equal and opposite errors in regard to this topic. He states, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are, the demons themselves, are equally pleased by both errors, and halo materialist and magician with the same delight. So wherever you sit here this morning on this topic, chances are you are on one side or the other, and most of us don't really have much balance when it comes to this. I would say I'm on the side that often just dismisses things and uh, has some kind of explanation for things all the time, and maybe you are as well. But maybe you're, you're that person that gets caught up in this and gets overwhelmed and absorbed to the point that you can't function very well because you think everything is a spiritual force against you. So this morning, hopefully we can find some balance from Jesus, who tells us, or Mark tells this story about what Jesus did for this man. So let's look at verses one and two, and we're just gonna work our way through these 20 verses throughout this story. Verse one and two says they came to the other side of the sea, so the country to the country of the and When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met out of uh, they met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So we see the setting here, and I think we can all agree uh, that this isn't an accident that Jesus ended up here, right? Somehow, he goes on his way in a stormy sea, being tossed around, the disciples are freaking out, and then all of a sudden, they happen to land on this shore where a man with an unclean spirit is right there. Now, it's also interesting, though, to think about that in this passage, it doesn't really mention the disciples. They're in the boat there, right? They just experienced this crazy evening of storm, and I imagine the only one that got any sleep was Jesus. So maybe they cruised on in on that calm sea, and they're just still snoozing. I don't know. But they're on the shore in the boat, and Jesus hops out, and it doesn't say Jesus and the disciples. It's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe they're resting. I don't know. That's probably what I would have been doing. So it's not an accident that they came and it says this word in verse two, immediately, Kent Hughes uh, states, Jesus came straight from his confrontation with a storm in nature to confront an equally violent storm in human nature. So we've already observed in this book that Jesus is always teaching, right? And he brought the disciples to this area. Maybe he woke them up before he hopped out of the boat. Hey, catch this, watch this, don't miss it, right? And so here he is on the shore, and he's always teaching about his kingdom. And it's nothing different here. And then he goes on to talk about this man's horrible affliction and condition in verse 3. He lived among the tombs and no one can bind him, bind him anymore not even with the chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a horrible condition this man lived in. It's important for us to see the setting that Jesus comes into here the setting he comes into from a Jewish area, right, into this Gentile area. Jesus meets a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, which we'll see later, working with pigs, all in unclean Gentile territory. So Jesus brings them from this area that is considered clean into this moment that is everything about it is unclean. And Jesus is showing them again, my kingdom is different. My kingdom is different. My kingdom is not for those who think they're clean and all washed up and all look good on the outside but are horribly evil on the inside. That's not my kingdom. My kingdom is for everyone who struggles, who's in pain, who experiences demonic possession or oppression. And here's my kingdom. And he brings them into this setting. He's always teaching about his kingdom. But I'd like you to take a minute to try to imagine this man's condition. It's a graphic story that is told here just in these few verses. And maybe in your imagination you can picture this. There's the remains of multiple attempts to chain him. Notice it says shackles and chains. And so you can imagine this man just walking around with remains. Maybe they started small and then they started to get larger as they went up his arm. And these chains, just broken chains, just dangling from his arms and his ankles and his legs starting to be filled with shackles and chains just being dragged around as he walks among the tombs. And then you see this man, this picture of his, these massive self-inflicted wounds with cuts, probably infected all over his body, just fri- trying to find some sort of relief even through pain as he cuts himself. And these ridiculously loud, shrieking, shrills of of noise and pain and howling coming from this man as he wanders among the tombs night and day with no relief. This is who Jesus comes to. This is the man who is struggling. Struggling for hope. Struggling for purpose. He lived in utter chaos. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced anything like this. Maybe not to this level, but maybe some kind of experience with demonic oppression or possession. Maybe you personally have dealt with this. I know for me, when I was young, growing up, as a pastor's kid, there was an experience I had that I'll never forget. I think I was in middle school. I can't remember, but I do remember the fact that I was woken up, maybe not woken up, my dad was preaching, uh... I was paying attention diligently to my dad and a couple rows behind me, I heard this scream and it's just like the top of his lungs. This guy is yelling in the service and I'm just like, all right, I'm awake now if I wasn't before and I turn around and this guy's freaking out. And I see some deacons come over and usher this guy outside into the lobby into a room, and of course, I needed to get a drink at that time, uh, so I wanted to check things out because you know not often you experience this crazy you know, excitement you know um, in the church being there night, you know, morning, noon, and night as a pastor's kid and so I 'm out there getting a drink, and I just hear noise coming from this room, and I hear banging and, and this guy I mean he's He's probably 50 pounds lighter than me and he's taller than me. He's just skinny and he's just in this situation where he has this supernatural strength and he's throwing desks around the room and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. And then finally some men are able to subdue him and and I hear later they prayed for him and prayed over him and he calmed down. And he continued to come to our church. It's kind of an interesting situation growing up. I grew up in a church. It was some some of the things I've seen in this small church is like God uh, created a magnet for people who were struggling like that. And the magnet was around my dad. I don't know why, but that's just what happened. And so I was able to see things like this. And I think it was a privilege God gave me to maybe learn along the way. But this man was in utter chaos in his mind and his body, just like this man. Now, we got to be careful, of course, not to attribute every single thing, right, to the devil and his demons. But I don't think we struggle with that for real. I think we struggle on the other end and we don't realize or recognize that many of the things that we deal with are of a spiritual nature, that they go deeper than maybe your physical struggles, Maybe even things that have been identified as physical infirmities, mental infirmities that, of course, it's important to do what the doctors say and to take your medicine if it's prescribed and to be encouraged that way. But oftentimes when people struggle, when you and I struggle, there's most likely a spiritual root. And there's a spiritual struggle, whether it's past abuse, trauma, difficulty like that that hasn't been dealt with. And so in this, we can see there's someone, there's a king who has power over this and that you're not sitting in your seat helpless and hopeless. That this man wasn't wandering around the tombs helpless and hopeless. It's because of Jesus transformed his life. Look at verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying, out with a loud voice he said what have you to do with me jesus son of the most high god i adjure you by, by god do not torment me for he was saying come out unto him come out of the man you unclean spirit so here it is the man comes up to jesus and notice immediately comes up to him right and then he even jesus as he's a far, far away the scripture says jesus can see this trouble on him It reminds me of jesus as he interacted with the multitudes a lot of times jesus would say i have compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd so jesus sees this man he already sees him from afar and knows he needs help he needs intervention based on his night and day actions we can see who was really controlling this man the demons inside of him which makes this reaction in verse 6 fascinating because even at that moment, he falls down at Jesus' feet. He falls down in his presence. And then there's this interesting interaction between the demons and Jesus. They even recognize him as Jesus, the most high God. And this isn't the first time, if you look in chapters 1 and 3, that's already mentioned in Mark that this same experience happened with Jesus. Jesus. And even if you look closer, the demon himself says, uh, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. It's a very interesting situation happening here where they're recognizing God, and they're even recognizing Jesus as the most high God and begging, in a way, for mercy. So the man sees Jesus as the most high God And I think it's important when they say, do not torment me, I think it's crucial for us to understand that Jesus has control, not only of the physical, the running and the bowing, but also the mental state of this man, that Jesus can overpower these demons who reside inside of him. It's an interesting dual conversation happening between demons, man, Jesus, there's an amazing book I read recently called Gentle and Lowly, and if you want to look for summer reading, don't go any further. Uh, the women of this church, and many of the women are going through this in a, in a study, and I can't re- recommend it more highly. But this book, throughout this book, he talks about how Jesus approaches us. And he says, the author says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to Come. No payment is required, he says. I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. So here's the man approaching Jesus, bowing at his feet, distraught, naked, torn apart, chains all over him, hasn't slept in, I'm sure, weeks, and here he is laying at Jesus' feet. And here Jesus is. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So here he is, looking for help. And Jesus is the man who'll give him this help. So in verse 9 through 13, we can see Jesus' power displayed. Verse 9, he says, Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about two thousand. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. <laughs> uh, if you ever read the Bible, or if you ever like start reading the Bible, and you're like, This, I just can't get into it. I hear students saying this sometimes. It's like, have you read the Bible for real? This stuff is in the Bible. And it's crazy, and it blows my mind. It's very fascinating, and unfortunately for the pigs, not so fascinating, but it happened. And I also say to them, too, is this, that if you were trying to produce a squeaky clean version of fiction and trying to uh, help people be convinced that Christianity was the way to go, maybe you don't put this story in there. Especially for human rights advocates, right? I mean, I'm sorry, animal rights advocates. Uh, we just don't understand. We'll get to the pigs in a minute, but I, I'm just, I'm just sidetracked by the pigs. I'm sorry. Uh, let's get to the legion first, though. So he interacts with Jesus, and he says, "I am legion. We are many." And so when we have to, we have to understand this legion reference is a Roman reference. And if you think of a legion in an army. A legion was anywhere from five to seven thousand troops, plus 120 horsemen and technical people involved in this uh, legion. So this is what's described as in inhabiting this man: five to seven thousand demons. So you can see why chains were no match for this man. Like these demons probably just laughing at the, really, you're gonna put that one? Okay, and boom, they're gone. And this is what this man is dealing with. Make no mistake, demons are active right now in your home, in your community, and even right here where you sit. It's important for us to be sober and vigilant, vigilant, not vigilant, vigilant, did I get that right? Vigilant, the Bible says, because Satan is like a lion, roaming about, seeking whom he can devour. I think we don't take this serious enough. I know I don't, like I should. As a dad, as a husband, as like the shepherd of my home, where am I lacking in the area of allowing these things, spiritual forces, to even enter my home? Are there gateways that I'm opening to spiritual oppression? and demonic activity, even in my home, or if it's through my phone, or through a TV, or through other ways in things that we encounter, do I take this seriously? So it's important for us to see the danger here and not dismiss it. But Satan doesn't always come at us in this despicable way. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and 15, uh, Paul says, "And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And even in James, James goes on to say that when you're tempted, you're drawn away by your lone desires. So even there, we can see that Satan, he targets our tastes. He targets what we love and what we enjoy and distorts it and pushes us in ways, in the ways we're already drawn to, to try to wreck us. And so here we go. Note to self, here's some important things maybe to write down. Number one, you are made in the image of God. Number two, your chief goal should be to bring him glory. But number three, don't forget this one, Satan's desire is to distort and destroy the image of God in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in this room, you cannot be possessed by a demon. A demon cannot enter you. But it does not mean that that demon cannot oppress you. And that looks like a lot of different things represented in this room. I'm sure many have experienced this type of situation. So it doesn't mean that you are just free, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm good, back off. The reality is there's oppression and and Satan wants nothing less than to destroy that image of God in you, to wreck you, to wreck your family, to wreck your marriage, to wreck your future. That's what he wants. That's his desire. So when it comes to the pigs, speculation abounds on why Jesus would allow them to go into the pigs. That's all it is. There's really no description of how and why and what the point of that was, but they did. And we don't know, but I will say that our view of this is a lot different than the Eastern culture and the way they viewed animals and the way they uh, interacted with animals and, and how they saw them. Our view today is we're a lot closer to animals than they were back then. And it was just it was commerce. For us, it's a little different. Some of us have, well, I don't know, Does anybody have a pet pig? I don't know. But the reality is just different. The way we look at things, the, the culture, the way we look at things is just different, right? But it's interesting to see the crowd because they didn't concentrate on the loss of pigs. They were actually too busy with fear and awe. They were actually blown away and scared. They just wanted Jesus gone. But here's what we can agree on, whether we can agree on why the pigs ended up in the lake or whatever. This is what we can agree on. This man telling his story as an Eastern storyteller for the rest of his life would fill the minds of people and kids and whoever he spoke with all throughout the Decapolis, these 10 cities surrounding him with this story of God's transformation and his parents and his grandparents and those kids' parents and grandparents and then grandchildren and great-grandchildren would tell this story over and over again because they saw it with their own eyes. They heard the howls and the shrieks of this man. They saw his wounds. They probably told their kids to stay away from that area because this guy was unclean right and here he is and they saw the transformation and it was amazing little side note and question when you experience people in situations like this maybe not this extreme but in situations like this how do you react when you see a man or woman begging And maybe they're in a state where they're oppressed or even possessed because of maybe choices they made or things that have been done to them. How do you act? Is it the compassion of Jesus? Is it welcoming them or even seeing what you can do beyond maybe throwing a dollar in their cup? We're hearing stories of people who are homeless or difficult times or maybe relatives who who have situations where they're involved in these type of things and you don't know what to do. What do your kids hear if you're a parent? What do your grandkids hear coming out of your mouth? Is it compassion or is it judgment? Because I don't see any judgment right now. Well, son, you know, Jesus speaking to him, son, you must have done a lot to deserve this. Roaming around in these tombs naked, sores festering and infected, what'd you do to deserve this? That's what Jesus said. He saw him with compassion and he acted in a way that glorified God. No one could refute this story Verse 14, let's look at the reaction of the people. It's pretty interesting. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They were so scared. Now, it's interesting, their view, they kind of acted like the religious leaders, right? Just get them out of here. Instead of, make me clean too. Right? So word spread. They came to Jesus. They were afraid. They begged him to leave. Now he's rejected by the Jews and the Gentiles. Brandon made this observation last week. It's important to repeat, I think, that you you don't come to Jesus already clean. But you do become more clean as you spend time with Jesus. You don't come to Him already clean. You come to Him with your hurt, with your chaos, with your craziness. And it doesn't go away often right away. But as you spend time with the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, you actually begin to get that peace as well. Maybe you're like me, you don't often see yourself on this guy's level. Again, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was in church all the time, so I played the game really well. I was that little religious leader. I was the one who thought myself kind of clean. I didn't have much going on that was really horrible. I mean, I had my little sins here and there of dumb stuff I would do and disrespecting my parents and things like that, and things in my mind I thought were just little. But I wasn't unclean. I wasn't dirty. I wasn't nasty. I wasn't filthy. But the reality I need to remember, maybe you need to be reminded of, is all of you are in this guy's state. You are this guy without Jesus. You are this unclean man. You are one without hope, without Jesus. And hopefully, most of you in here can say, now past tense, I was without hope. I was unclean. I was filthy. And now, I'm washed clean. For those that don't know Jesus, he can do this amazing work in you today. I love this concept, this beautiful picture of salvation. He goes from chains to mission. Jesus doesn't just leave him cleaned up and okay, now you're in your right mind, you're clothed, and all that good stuff, but now he gives him a mission. And look at the words described about this man after this chaos, where do they find him? What do they find him like in verse 15? He's clothed, this calm demeanor, and dignity. He's sitting there clothed with calm demeanor and dignity, and then he's in his right mind where he's self controlled. He has a sound mind. This is what Jesus did for him. For some of you in this room, the state of this man hits you right between the eyes because you can see yourself in this man. You've descended so low in a gross sin, whether obvious or hidden, you can't imagine being forgiven. Some of you sitting with family members even now that they have no idea the deep sin that you're addicted to at this moment. And you think to yourself, there's no way. There's no looking up. It's just bottom from here on out. And I want to remind you of this story. Here's your sign. You can be forgiven. You can be transformed. The power of the Holy Spirit can transform your life today. The very same God who calmed the stormy sea and cast out the legion of demons, giving this man new life, can give you new life today. Lastly, we can see the mission that's received in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So here he is, the healed man, he's begging to go along with Jesus. And before you judge the man too harshly, think about maybe yourself in that situation. You just come off this trauma, running around in tombs naked, scraping yourself, chains, all this stuff, howling uh, night and day, and here it is, you're transformed and in your right mind. I don't know about you, but I would want to stick with Jesus. Take me with you. Don't leave me here where all the trauma happened. Don't leave me here in this pain and where I'm reminded by looking at people's faces, the people who put chains on me. Why would you do that to me? Some of you are sitting right here and you've experienced trauma. You've experienced evil in your life. Things that have hurt you in deep ways. And I want you to hear that just because Jesus said stay doesn't mean he departed from him. That he was still with him. But he had a mission. And some of you, your trauma can be your mission. He was denied but given a greater mission. Look at verse 19. What does Jesus say? Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy. Has, he's had mercy on you. That could be pretty much your calling card today, your, your to go orders. Go home. Tell your friends and family how much Jesus has done for you. Jesus had made this man clean and given him purpose in the kingdom. This is the first missionary sent out in the book of Mark, and guess what? He's a Gentile. <laughs> and he's sent out. These ten cities had no doubt heard of this situation. And he was being asked something intense and difficult. Just because you're asked something intense and difficult doesn't mean it's not from God. He was asked something to go back to this trauma, to go back to the setting, to go back to this experience of where he was chained. But imagine the people who encountered this man before, seeing him and hearing his story. Jesus tells them to go out and it says the decapolis which represents ten cities in the surrounding area, and this man was this missionary to all ten cities. And here he goes, spreading the love of Jesus. Ephesians six twelve says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I think some of us need to be reminded of that today. That the things you're experiencing aren't just physical, they're not just mental, but it's spiritual. And as soon as you face the reality of that, then you can start to see healing, then you can start to see growth, then you can start to see you being used on mission for the sake of the gospel but I want to take this time now if you guys could go ahead and stand with me we're going to sing one more song well, I want this song to be one that allows you to focus I know the tendency because it's almost noon I'm even letting you out early so you can calm down But some are already jetting out, they're hungry But uh, but my first focus and thought at this moment because I'm always thinking of this is what am I eating? right? What am I doing next? But I'd love for you to just stand still and focus on what you've heard. These spiritual forces, this demonic activity wants to snatch this word of God and just allow you to forget it and go home unchained, unchained, changed, excuse me, or unchained. So, For us, I think during this time of song, maybe for us, we can let this be a time of focus. Maybe time of confession. Maybe you need to confess even to a relative here sitting with you. Maybe you need to get on your knees where you are. Come forward and and get on, on your knees up front and spend some time with God, maybe confessing some things that you need to get right and maybe embracing your mission that God's given you. I'll be down front here on the side if you want to pray. I'd be glad to pray with you. There are other people in this room that would love to pray with you as well. So take this time in this song to reflect, to confess, to repent, and be restored.